Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight, Lord. Thank you that you are good, Lord. That you are holy, Lord. That you are gracious, Father. Loving, kind. What a privilege it is, Lord, to, to serve you, Lord, to know you, Father, to come alongside, Lord, a group of people that's here to willingly, Lord, lift up your name, Father. And we pray, Lord, that the word tonight, Lord, may have an effect on us, Lord, that we will walk out here, Lord, with a greater revelation of who you are, Lord, a greater willingness to obey, Father, the sound of your voice, not to reason, Lord, not to look to what is stronger, what makes sense, Father, but to simply obey, Lord. Knowing, Father, who the one is that's leading, that's calling, Father, that's showing the way. The one that has carried us all along. The one that has kept us, Lord. And as you say in the word, Lord, we return to our strongholds because we are prisoners of hope. A hope, Father, that comes from you and you alone. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to be speaking a bit about the mile in the shoes of Gideon and continue with the sermon series we've been busy with. It's been a bit longer than a mile, but it's coming to an end soon. We'll end off with the mile in the shoes of next week, like Hanu said, we'll kick off our relationship series on the 23rd of May and really looking forward to that as well. And also the deliverance, you know, there's a couple of things that we really need to be intentional about. And those are two of those things, you know, specifically relationships. I would really encourage you guys to to attend that, to intend the marriage enrichment as well. There's a lot of areas where the world is a bit confused concerning a lot of stuff, but when it comes to the areas of relationships, very much so. And it's important for us to know what God's word says about relationships um, and how God wants us to deal with it and how we want to go through that. But to get back to this, seminar, a mile in the shoes of Gideon, ready for the calling. And this last while we've been speaking a lot about heart changes, you know, and we looked at Ezra and Nehemiah and, you know, the failed revival that they had and stuff not quite working out as they should. You know, and we looked at the mile of, a mile in the shoes of the Good Samaritan and we saw that we know a lot of stuff sometimes, but sometimes it just fails to have effect in our lives. It doesn't quite have the effect that it should. It doesn't quite form us as we should. You know, we said that we should be honest to God. We shouldn't just start doing stuff that we actually do not want to and just try to power through because we said that this time we will do it. No, we need to bring an honest heart before God and ask him to come and do what only he can come and do. And last week we made the statement to say that let God shape your heart. Let God form you. And the question we want to ask ourselves now is how does that happen? How does God form us? How does he shape us? Where does the process begin? How do we yield to a process of allowing God to form us and shape us into what we want to be, into what He has called us to be. When do we arrive at a place where we are ready for the calling that God has for us? Because a lot of times we hear people say, now I'm not quite ready. Let's go on missions. Let's do certain things. Let's get married, you know. I'm not quite ready. Let's go and evangelize the world. Let's go and make disciples. But the answer is, I'm not ready yet. I need a little bit more time. I can't step out yet, I can't obey yet, I can't go yet. I'm not ready. So the question is, how do we then become ready? And we're going to see this in the life of Gideon. Interesting story of a man that's not ready, not at all. Not in his own standards, not 
in his own mind, according to the own way he thinks about himself, about who he is and what God is calling him to do. Not ready, Lord. Don't think you, you have the right man here. And how does that process of formation happen then? We're going to look at that as we go through this story. So let's dive in and see what we can learn. Judges 6, from verse 11 to 27. And just to give you guys a bit of background on where we're picking up the story. So the book of Judges is written just after Joshua and the people coming to the promised land. They're supposed to drive out all of the nations and they fail to do that. You know, they keep some of the nations in the land and God said, no, you need to drive them out. Otherwise, you're going to start worshiping their idols. You're going to follow after their gods. And surprise, surprise, God again speaks the truth. Exactly that happens. And Gideon dies and the elders that were with Gideon dies. And actually, tragic story, the generation after them didn't even know God. There was such a failure of importation from the previous generation, they didn't even know God. They didn't know the things that God had done for them. And the people that's in the land, as they begin to obey their gods, as they begin to worship the, the gods of the people around them, ironically enough, these people begin to oppress them to such a point where Israel doesn't like it anymore and they cry out to God. Lord, save us. And the God rises up, a judge, to come and deliver Israel. And when the judge dies, every single time, we read the same words. And Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again and again, just repeats itself again and again. The people get oppressed. They cry out to God. A judge comes, delivers Israel. The judge dies. And Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of God. And the same is true in the life of Gideon. But at least we see a picture of a man being formed by God to accomplish what God has called him to do. And we want to learn from the story, how can we do the same? How can we imitate? What does God use to shape us? And Israelites are busy hiding away from the Midianites. And that's where we pick up the story in Judges 6 verse 11. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joas the Abishrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, and he himself is hiding. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Ironically, you know, that's the perspective of man sometimes. Why has God forsaken us? And God says, no, I'm not the one that has forsaken. You are the one that's turned your back on me yet again. You've went astray yet again. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in all Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out a present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. That's 16 kilograms. 
nog een broekje gebak. The meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat, and take the unleavened cakes, and put them on the rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And a fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. And this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abishrites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with the stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Interesting story. And a lot of things that we can learn and stuff that we can focus on. But to get to the point, how is it that this man gets transformed into a man that really is a mighty man of valor, that God really uses mightily. And we see him hiding in the winepress, afraid of the Midianites. He's there, and the first thing that God commands him to do, he says, I'll do it by night, Lord, because I'm a bit afraid. I'm not going to go do this by day. I'm not going to face the people. I'm going to do it by night. And everything that God calls Gideon to do, there's a bit of an hesitation. There's a bit of an excuse. No, Lord, not me. Maybe someone else. Don't know if you have the wrong, the right guy here. I'm the least, Lord. We are the weakest. I'm not sure, Father, if I can do this. How does God take that man and transform him into a guy that leads 300 against thousands? Chases down these thousands with this 300 men. And as they're busy chasing the princes of the Midianites in the next couple of chapters, they get to a city and they say, hey, we're hungry. Won't you give us some food to me and my men? And they said, you haven't even defeated the princes of the Midianites and now you're making requests of us. And Gideon says, okay, we're going to go do what we are called to do and when we come back, you are next. It's a completely different guy. He's not hiding in a wine press anymore. He has a bit of courage. How does that work? And even in the end of chapter 8 we see the Israelites saying Gideon and his household must rule over us forever let him be king over us what happened to this man how did God transform him and then Gideon replies no I will not be king over you we will not rule over you God will be king and God will rule over you and yes he made some bad, bad decisions at the end it wasn't good for him or Israel but God used him mightily and accomplished his purpose through him. How does God do that? What's the ingredient? What do we do from outside to allow God to form us? We look at two things tonight. There's one thing we must do and another we must have to give us the assurance so that God can come and do what he has called us 
te doen. Maar het begint hier in vers 11 en 12. En het zegt, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Gideon himself is hiding. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. And then we get quite why Gideon gives a bit of a sarcastic response back. Now, oh yeah, you know, if the Lord is with us, then why do these things happen? Because Gideon must have thought that the guy's being sarcastic with him as well. I mean, think about it. Yeah, he is hiding away and someone comes and he doesn't know it's the angel of the Lord. He realizes that later. And as he's busy hiding, someone comes and says, Hey, mighty man of valor, God is with you. And he's like, I'm back, man. I'm not the only one hiding. The people are also in the caves and in the mountains. Now you come picking on me. A bit of a frustration. You know, look at this guy. All of us are hiding. Don't come pick on me. You know, here we get in ease at the moment. That's many times where we find ourselves when God calls us. When God comes and he wants to come and impart identity, and when he wants to come and reveal through his word what he has called us to do, we are many times in the same place that Gideon is. So now, Lord, we feel a bit weak. We're not sure you, you have the right person here. Maybe you're thinking of someone else. And just, just to pause there for a moment, I don't know if we realize what we do when we do that. Like, as if God needs our counsel for a moment. Maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he doesn't have all of the information. No, Lord, let me just quickly tell you. I know you've maybe seen my social media profile and I might look brave. But no, the real me, not really about those things. God knows. He doesn't need your counsel for him to inform, for you to inform him about the things that he wants to do. About the things that he's called you to do. What he expects of you. He knows. He's almighty. He's God. He's the one that is calling us. And many times we find ourselves here. And we hide it sometimes a little bit. You know, in modern days, it doesn't sound nice to say that we are weak. It doesn't seem nice to say that we are unimportant. Or that we don't quite have what God expects of us. Or that we don't want to do what God has called us to. We think that we're going to fail in the calling. It's not nice to do so. We hide behind certain things and we'll get to that in a moment but I want to say that it's okay when God comes and he calls us he commissions us to go and do something and when we see in his word what he expects of us there should be a little bit of a that's a bit above my ability Lord because God does not call us based on our ability you know many times we have this cute little sayings that we post on Facebook and stuff God will never give you something above your ability he will always he will always he will always call you to do what you are unable to do so that he can do it through you. Every single time. Why? So that you don't think you do it in your own strength. So that the glory belongs to God. He wants to make sure that everybody knows that this is God that is working. This is not man. It says in scripture, he uses the weak to lead the strong. He uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. That is God working uses the weak to lead the strong. He will always call us to do stuff that we are incapable of doing. And a while back I thought about this. We actually have a frustrating calling as Christians. I don't know if you've thought about it. To go and make disciples of nations. And we read in Romans 8 from verse 6 onwards that the mind that is set on the flesh is death. The mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. He does not submit 
to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And God says, go and reach those people. Huh? It's not like they're neutral. They need a little bit of persuasion. No, they're hostile towards God. They cannot submit to God's law. We read in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 that nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So again, God is calling us to go and do something that only He can do. And He wants to do it through us. You read that in 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now to such an extent that when Jesus commissioned the disciples, He told them in Acts 1, if I'm not physically present with you, I'm going to send him to heaven, but the Holy Spirit's not yet poured out. Go and wait in a room. Go and wait and pray in a room. But if the Spirit does not come, the presence of God is not with you, you will be unable to do what I've called you to do. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will be my witnesses. But we've been called to do what only God can do through us. And we have to realize that because when the calling comes, it sounds a little bit like this. Every single time through scripture, it says here in Judges 6, verse 14 to 15. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. What is this might of his? The fact that God is with him. And save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not send you. And he said to him, please Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, I am the least. Excuses, Lord, I don't think that I have the ability to do what you've called me to do. And again and again this happens. Moses, God calls Moses. What does Moses say? No, Lord, I, I don't speak quite well. I don't think you have the right guy in mind here. And God says, I am with you. I'll send Aaron as well just to, you can have some company, maybe learn how to speak better on the road. But you go. God calls Jeremiah. What does Jeremiah say? No, Lord, I'm too young. He says, don't you say you are too young. Go and do what I have called you to do. The whole time, Joshua, God has to remind Joshua, be strong and courageous, I'm with you. Be strong and courageous, I'm with you. doesn't need to remind him if he hasn't forgotten. But God reminds him again and again. Take courage. Be courageous. Be strong. I am with you. Again and again, the same thing happens. And we feel that way as well when we see the things many times God has called us to. We feel weak and we feel that we are the least. And in many other areas in life, we might not feel this way. Tomorrow morning when we arrive at work, we might feel completely different. I've got this. I have the ability. I've studied for this. I've got the experience. I can run this plant. I can coach this team. I can teach that class. I've got this. And we feel that way, but when it comes to spiritual things in the kingdom of God, we feel a little bit different. Don't got this. Don't have it. But because we hide behind something and we don't want to say, no, Lord, we feel weak, we feel insecure, and we don't feel we have what it takes, we use a bit of different wording. We don't want to say we are weak. We just want to say some other people are really cold. You with me? They're really cold. I'm a little cold. They're really cold. I'm called to come to church. They're called to go and make disciples. And Afrikaans, they have this weird thing that they say, hij is a groot christen. Have you heard that before? If you've said it, it's okay. Hij is a groot christen. Hij is baie geestelik. He's really spiritual. 
And I said this morning, I only know three big Christians. That's Vessel, Lodewijk, and PJ. They're big. <laughs> Christians. The rest of us, more or less the same size. They're big Christians. The rest of us, the same. See, you don't get that. You don't get big Christians or really called Christians or mighty men and women of God and the rest of us. You don't get that. You don't get these Christians that really have this divine calling and this anointing to go and do great things and then the rest of us. You don't get that. And we're going to see in a moment what it comes down to. There's two categories that we fall into, but it's not great and less great. Anointed and less anointed. Greater called Christians, great men and women of God and lesser great men and women of God. No. It's not the categories we, we fall into. And we realize these things when the real calling comes. And we read many times, go and make disciples of the nations. Go and proclaim the gospel. Then we're like, no, 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 no. I'm not called to do that. Other people will do that. The really called people will do that. And it really comes to the shelf. This is now. This is it. And many times people call me. It's happened just again this week that is passed. Someone phones and they're busy speaking with someone and they're working with someone, but they've seen now that this person is possessed. There's a demon. Won't, won't you come and help us? And in some of the cases, the people will say, no, they're Christians. And then I'll say, but won't you drive out the demon yourself? You're Christian. You can do it. Go. No, 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 no. We're we not that, that spiritual. Like, it's, not, it's not how it works. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have the correct training and the right, the right background and the right understanding about Scripture, about certain things. That's important. But it doesn't come down to certain great people really called to do great things and others not so much. No. What is the difference? Where does the difference lie between people being greatly used by God and others not? And we read it. The end verse 27. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and he did as the Lord had told him. That's it. It's obedience. That's it. And yes, he was afraid and he did it by night, but nonetheless, he did what God had called him to do. And he was honest about it. Lord, I, I'm afraid. I feel like I'm the weakest. I feel like I'm the least. Nonetheless, I'm going to do what you have called me to do, even if I do it by night. But I'm going to start. I'm going to obey. That is the difference. You don't get great Christians and less great Christians. You get obedient Christians and disobedient Christians. That's it. You get people willing to follow and people that won't. It's in stepping out in obedience that God comes and shapes us. That's where it happens. That's where it happens, simply stepping out in obedience. And the smallest things. I remember coming to intercession my first time. The first five times I just listened to the people pray. And then for about a year, because I was really afraid to speak in front of people, I prayed the prayer in my head before I would speak so that the people could hear. Also scared, Lord. I'm just going to start to speak. I'll rehearse it a couple of times, then I'll go. I'm going to do it, Lord. And God comes and he shapes us as we step out in obedience. As we step out. That's where the shaping process begins. And to put this truth in different 
words. It sounds like this. Matthew 4, verse 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you. But follow. Start to walk. Start to obey. Where I go, you go. But follow me and I will make you. Step out in obedience. This is the same call that Gideon had. Follow me and I will make you. I know that you're not there just yet. But follow me and I will make you. And at that same passage, just before this happens, we read in Luke 5 verse 8. What does Peter say to Jesus? He falls to his knees and he says, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. There's righteous people, holier people than I that you can go and call. I'm not the man. What does Jesus say? You follow me and I will make you fisher of men. I will make you. I know that you're not there yet. And tonight if we receive these words by grace and we step out in faith, what beautiful words. He will make of us. We don't need to make ourselves anything. If we follow, he will make us what he has called us to be. Not he could or he might. Or if one day he really desires, he's gonna. No, he will make us fishes of men if we follow. Step out in obedience so that God can shape our hearts. That takes us to point number one. A mile in the shoes of Gideon, God shapes us as we follow him in obedience. God shapes us as we follow him in obedience. Read in Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But we need to walk. But we need to start walking. We need to start following. We need to start doing the things that we see in scripture. And God will come and shape us. But obedience is key. God doesn't shape us in passivity. He doesn't shape us in idleness as we sit back and wait till something miraculously happens. Now, as we begin to walk, he begins to shape us. And where the following will begin is at the exact same place it started in Gideon's life. The original call for Gideon was to go and defeat the Midianites. But then something happens and it sounds like God is kind of sending him in a detour. And then we'll get to the real thing. But that is it. If this doesn't happen, nothing will this is before I send you to do what I've called you to do. Go and tear down the altar to Baal. Go and cut down the Shirah. The idol worship. And God has spoken about that, I think, quite clearly. Even before the sermon started, with the people coming, bringing those words. Even with the song that we sang. We cast down our idols. That is where it needs to begin. And God is calling us tonight, but you need to go and tear down whatever stands between you and God. Whatever is keeping you from Him. Whatever is hindering you, whatever is distracting you, God is saying, tear that thing down. And for many of us, it's as simple as the screens before us. Stop the DSTV account. Take the TV down. Seriously, take it down. Cancel the Netflix. Put away the social media. Tear it down. It's as simple as that for many of us. You might say, no, yes, sounds a bit extreme. But if we can't even do that, I don't think I have to say anything else. If you can't even do that, just tear it down. So where is going to start? We read Matthew 22, verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. 
Baie is geroep, min is uitverkies. Because the call is going out, but few are willing to step out in obedience. The rich young ruler, he came to Jesus. He had the same call that the disciples heard. Follow me. But he had to go and tear down the altar to Baal. God says, go and sell what you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. Because you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And he went away sad. Unable to tear down the altar. Couldn't follow. You cannot follow if you don't go and tear down first. Ask God, Lord, what is it that I need to go and tear down? What is keeping me from you? And the question that we then need to ask ourselves is, what do we need? What gives us the power to tear down the altar, to follow God with everything in us? What do we need? And it's the one thing that Gideon just wanted the assurance of. Just this one thing that he continually asked of God. And that is the following. Judges 6, verse 13 and 17. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? Lord, I just want assurance that you are with us. That's the thing that I'm doubting. That's the assurance that I need. And in verse 16, God says to Gideon, I am with you. And then Gideon says, then show me a sign that if it is you who speak with me. I just want to be sure, Lord, that you are with me. That's the assurance that I need because it seems like I'm forsaken. When I look at my circumstance and the things that's going on around me, I'm not sure if you're with me. It's the only thing I need, Lord. Even in the next chapter, praying for the 300, in the end of chapter 6, I think most of us may be familiar with the story of Gideon's fleece. The wool fleece cast it out on the ground and Gideon asks God and says, Lord, you've called me to go and fight against the Midianite, but if it's you, I'm going to ask you for this sign, even though he knows that it's sin to test God. We read the story of Gideon and many times we want to throw out fleeces. Narrative is not normative. Just because it happened doesn't mean we need to do the same. Scripture says, don't test the Lord your God. Lack of faith. That's what's happening here. And Gideon says, Lord, I'm throwing out the fleece. And if it's really you, Lord, and if you're really with us, make the fleece wet and the ground around it dry. And God does that out of grace. God actually does that, even though he's unfaithful. And then even that is not enough, Gideon says, okay, Lord, just, just one more. Make the fleece dry and the ground around it wet the next morning. Also stalling a little bit. We do that sometimes as well. Make the ground wet. And God does it again. God does it again. And the next chapter, God says to him, okay, I've delivered Midian into your hand. Go. But if you are afraid, go to your servant's tent because there you'll find even more confirmation. What does he do? Go to the tent, still afraid, still can't believe. It's like the doubting Thomas of the Old Testament, this Gideon. And he goes to the tent and there they speak about a dream that someone has. And they say that interpretation is surely God has given Midianites into Gideon's hand. Then they go. A lot of signs, but Gideon just wanted to know, God, are you with us? Because if that is the case, then we go. Then I'll tell the people that don't want to give us bread, they next. Because you truly are with us, Lord. And God does it in a way that we can be sure that the glory belongs to him. Only were 300 men. Initially, there were 23,000. God said, no, let the rest of them go. Lest you think you did this in your own strength. But I want to show you that I'm with you. And we read the story and we're like, okay, Lord, but how can we be sure? Will you also be so gracious, Lord, when we put out the fleece 
Will you also give us a sign that you are with us, Lord? How can I be certain that you are with us? What does scripture say? Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is like, is that sign enough for you? Is that enough for you to know that I am with you? I have given you my son graciously. How much more will I not give you all things? And we know how that chapter ends. Neither hell nor death, no angel, demons, high depth, nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God. But know this, that I am with you. It takes us to the second point tonight. While in the shoes of Gideon, through the cross of Christ, it is clear that God is with us and for us. How dare we after that ask God for another sign as if that is not sufficient. Now Lord, won't you show me something else as well? And whenever we doubt, we can look to the crucified Son of God and know that surely, if God did not spare his own Son, surely he is with us. Surely he is for us. He will keep nothing back from us. That is the love of a righteous, holy God being poured out for sinful man. But surely God is with us. And you might say, okay, no, Vian, I know that in general and when it comes to making disciples and praying for people, I know that God is with me. But I'm, I'm speaking about big things, you know, big decisions like where should I work, where should I go? That's not big decisions. That's your decisions. You're simply asking is when it comes to the things that's important to me, I struggle to hear. Yes, because you fail to step out with the things that is important to God. That is why we fail to hear. Because there's no passage in scripture where men are eagerly imploring God to reveal his will to them and God is silent. Never happens. When we are willing to lay down ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, God's word is clear. And if we cannot step out in what is already written, and we don't step out in obedience and allow God to form us, then we will struggle to hear in general when it comes to most things in life. But whenever we follow him with anything in us, he will give us guidance. He will not hold back. We read in Acts 13, Barnabas and Paul coming back from the missionary journey to Jerusalem to go and deliver funds. And it says, as they were worshiping and fasting the Lord, not to receive something not to get God and simply because of who he is. He says, and the Lord said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Oh, he will guide us. If we are willing to follow him, he will lead us and make of us what he wants us to be. And he will take us where we need to go. There can be assurance of that. But when we only seek, when we only fast, when we only ask people to pray, when it comes to things that's important for us, we will struggle to hear because we have never turned down the altar. It's still there. And it is self. Tear down. Follow God. Do what he has already called us to do. I want to leave us with this scripture. Matthew 28, verse 19 20. Here's the call. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. 
to the end of the age. Commandment as clear as day. We can't get past it. And yes, we might feel, no, Lord, we're not ready. But as we follow him, he will make of us. We need to step out in obedience. Just begin to walk. Just begin to walk. And we can do Bible school and all of that, but if we're not following actively after Jesus in obedience, nothing will happen. I'm not saying those things are not important. Yes, it's important. But studying theology will not make you equipped unless you follow God. Doing Bible school will not make you equipped unless you follow God. You will simply hear information and it will have no effect. Because it's as we follow that he makes of us. And even those things, those are acts of obedience as we follow him. To go and do Bible school. To go and enroll to study theology. Not all of us mean if God presses it on your heart. To go and study counseling, to go for that deliverance course, to go to marriage prep and enrichment. That is obedience stepping out, but as we follow him. But if there's no following, nothing will happen. I want to encourage us. Yes, it's some hard truth in here. But we need to step out in obedience. That we need to go and tear down the altar series. But see the grace in this. That you do not need to make something of yourself so that God can be pleased with you. You simply need to follow and God will make of you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that gracious? God saying to us, just follow me. Just follow. And I will make of you what I've called you to be. I will give you grace. Like Paul said, I labored harder than any of them. I exceeded all of them. Yet not I. The grace of God that was with me. Let's stand tonight and pray together. Yes, Lord Father, thank you that we can just come and stand before you tonight, Lord. And I just marvel for that, your goodness, Lord. And yes, Father, thank you, Lord, that we can come, Lord, as a people called to stand for truth, Lord. Just come and break down the lie, Father, that we simply need to believe. Lord, is like St. Spurgeon says, Father. We believe, Father, and when we are born again, and when we come to you, Lord, the work is but half done. For you are not finished until you've made of us fishers of men. To go out, Lord, and proclaim the gospel to a broken world. And I pray, Lord, that the grace, Lord, that you've given tonight and poured out, Lord, and the call that has gone out yet again, Lord, follow me, and I will make you not be received in vain tonight but that each and every one of us will firstly know that there's a gracious, holy, righteous, loving God that is calling us to do what only He can do through us but He promised to make of us what only He can make of us if we simply obey if we simply obey and not just to obey Lord but to obey in honesty like Gideon Lord I feel like I'm the least Lord I feel like I'm weak Father I'm not the mighty man of valor, but yes, I'll go. Even if I start by night, I'm going to start, Lord. But I'm going to do what you've called me to do. If you are here tonight and God has spoken to you about anything, you want to just thank God, saying, thank you, Lord, that you have compelled me to step out in obedience already. If you want to say, Lord, I want to start obeying. If you just want to say, Lord, I've never even given and surrendered my life to you. I want to do that, whatever it is. I want us to come to the front and just pray to God. One, two, three, let's move tonight. Just come to the front and lay our hearts before God. You're welcome. Just come forward to this stage. Just pray and say, Lord, this is my heart. This is what I bring before you, Lord. 
whatever it is. Don't hold back. The reason why we're doing is we're teaching our bodies to respond to the Word of God. If you're standing in your seat and you're feeling that burning sensation, you are just move, just move. Just take that first step. Just take that first step, just move. God will make of you as you step out in obedience. What a gracious, loving God. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the God who saves.